Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of guarding the church against false teaching and false teachers. Don't ever think because you have a pastor that loves the word and teaches the word that heresy can't ever be raised up from within the body. You can't have a better pastor than Paul, Timothy, and then the beloved John at Ephesus. And look what happened to that church. It should be a warning to all of us. The heresy had come from the leadership from within. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. One ongoing debate in our government is in trying to determine the intent of the original authors of our Constitution. Well, all too often, the Church, too, struggles with determining the original intent of God's calling for His Church. Well, in today's examination of the Bible, Pastor Xavier helps establish the importance of staying true to God's original intent. Now take a moment to find your Bible and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3 as we get ready for today's Bible study, Departure from the Faith. Let's listen. The Apostle Paul has demonstrated a progressive development in the letter to Timothy, one thing built upon another. In chapter 1, we saw the proclamation of truth in order to prevent and stop false doctrine. In chapter 2, we saw the preparation for the proclamation of truth by prayer and piety. In chapter 3, we saw the personal qualification for church offices such as bishop, deacons, and deaconesses. In chapter 4, we are going to see the perversion of truth by deception through false doctrine versus godly doctrine. The first five verses are one complete unit regarding apostasy in the latter times. In verse 1, you have the proclamation of apostasy. In verse 2 and the first portion of 3, you have the particulars of the apostasy. And then in the remainder of 3 all the way to 5, you have the problem of apostasy. And he lays it out right there. And if you follow the word godliness from the last verse of chapter 3 and all the way through chapter 4, you see this is the central theme. The fourth chapter in distinct contrast to the mystery of godliness just proclaimed at the end of chapter 3 is evident. Instead of living in obedience to the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit in order to manifest godliness, people were departing from the faith, obeying seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, manifesting a satanic nature attack on godliness. Listen to the last verse. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on the world, received unto glory. And then it says, the spirit expresses latter times seducing spirits, doctrines of demons. And he goes on to speak the characteristics. There's a direct contrast going on here. So what we want to do is we want to look at the proclamation of apostasy, which reveals to us three things in verse 1 here. Let me read verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctors of demons. Here's the three things. The person revealing the apostasy is given to us in the first portion of verse 1. The period and people affected by the apostasy then follows in the middle of verse 1. And then the perversion in the apostasy, the remainder of verse 1. It's all here. The person revealing the apostasy. Now the Spirit expressly says. First of all, the Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. 
He is referred to with a personal pronoun, he, all the time. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's a person. He guides, he speaks, he can be grieved, he can be lied to, he can be quenched, he directs, he knows, he understands, he gives wisdom. He's a person. But secondly, the Spirit is the one continuing the ministry and work of Jesus in his absence. Jesus said in John 14, 16, that he called him the parakaleo, the comforter. He would send that comforter, one of the same kind, different in number, the third person of the Trinity, but same in kind, God. The Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. This is the one who's speaking. Notice thirdly, the Spirit is the agent of the clear communication. The word expressly means distinctly in specific terms. He reveals things that are understood clearly, plainly, unmistakably. Listen, the will of God is found in the Word of God. People say, oh, I don't know the will of God. I just don't. Listen, the will of God is that you obey. The will of God is that you walk in the Spirit. The will of God is that you not quench the Spirit. The will of God is that you think of others. The will of God is that you die to self. The will of God is that you pray. The will of God is that you study. Now, if that doesn't keep you busy, come back and I'll give you some more. Okay? Now, your personal will, meaning God's personal will for you in your life, that's for you to seek Him. But don't tell me that you don't know the will of God. The will of God is in the Word of God. It's been very clearly revealed by the Spirit of God in the Scriptures. The word is used in this form only this one time in the New Testament. The root word means that which was spoken. And it's translated orator when Tertullius the lawyer came to accuse Paul at Caesarea in Acts 24.1. That's a good translation, orator. The Holy Spirit is the orator for God in the church age. He speaks to us through the scriptures. The phrase again appears only this one time in the New Testament. It's not found in the Old Testament. And it's, it's not in reference to the words of Jesus. This is the word of the Spirit speaking. Okay? Certainly we can confirm with the words of Jesus, but it's the Spirit speaking, the third person of the Trinity. Now the words being clearly spoken by the Holy Spirit and were now being illuminated were for the set time, the fulfillment. You remember when 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12 says that the men of old, the prophets, they, they, they opened the word, they, they looked at it, they read it, and they, didn't, they couldn't figure out on what time and who it was speaking to because God veiled some of those scriptures. It was for the future, for us, the church. So it's not by intellectual understanding that we can understand the scriptures, but by the illuminating work of the Spirit of God at his set time. This was the time, the church age, he's speaking. Now, the person of the Holy Spirit speaks through men, through the prophecy or through the gift of prophecy as one of the gifts of the Spirit. We've studied that before. Romans 12, 6 is one of the places you'll find it. 1 Corinthians 4, 3, another. And the spirit of prophecy and the gift of prophecy works in four ways. For edification, exhortation, and comfort. 1 Corinthians 4, 3 tells us that. But also for revealing future events in the mind and will of God, according to Deuteronomy 18, 22 and 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10. So it's the Spirit of God who is opening our eyes, who is directing and guiding. In fact, Paul tells the Thessalonians not to despise 
prophecy. In fact, Revelations 19.10 says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of what? Prophecy. Everywhere you look in the scriptures, it's talking about Jesus. The spirit of prophecy points people to Jesus, not to anyone else. The Holy Spirit called up Barnabas and Saul for the work of the ministry, which he had called them in Acts 13.2, first missionary journey. The Holy Spirit was leading the leading spokesman in the first church council. You remember in Acts 15, 28? They, just, they concluded, they said, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Who was first? The Holy Spirit. The prompted in the church is, we conclude that this is, and then we say, Holy Spirit, bless it. No. Whatever happened to the Holy Spirit in the church today? We're so organized, we're so sanitized, we've got dead orthodoxy. And the Holy Spirit has nothing to do in our life. We're calling our own shots. And that's why there's a weak church today. The Holy Spirit spoke to Agabus the prophet about Paul's imprisonment at Jerusalem in Acts 21, 10, and 11, declaring future things. The Holy Spirit spoke to the men of old so that they would be infallible, inerrant, they were carried along by the Spirit of God, ensuring the source and content of the message to be of God and not man's own impulse. This is called inspiration in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. They were carried along by the Spirit of God, just as much the very same word is used that carried Paul's boat by the wind. They didn't speak these words of their own impulse or origin. Your old King James and some of you are trying to say it's not for any private interpretation. Bad, 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 bad. Not even close to the Greek. I don't know why. But it's, they spoke not of their own impulse or origin. But as the Spirit of God came upon them. Are you excited that you have in your lab the divine revelation of God that you can lean wholeheartedly because it is infallible and inerrant? Or do you think it's just another book like all others? I hope not. The Spirit spoke God's word as breathed out, expired from God, revealing the divine will and revelation of God. That's why Paul tells Timothy later on in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Theoponusal, God breathed, expired. Proud for doctrine, correction, instruction, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. People, we are fully equipped in Christ and the word. We need nothing else. What we need to do is, is make use of it. That's what we need to do. The Spirit makes the revelation of God alive, understandable. It's called illumination in 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 16. He goes through, I has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But we have received the things of God by the Spirit of God who has made them known to us. Amazing. The Holy Spirit wanting to get the will and work of God done forbade Paul to preach the word in Asia and Bithynia. You remember in the second missionary journey in Acts 16, 6-10? He knew God had called him out. Here he goes. But he's allowing the Holy Spirit to direct him. I'm going to preach it. No, you're not. I'm going to preach it. No, you're not. And he gets a vision from the man of Macedonia. Come over and help us. He goes to Philippi. He introduces the gospel into Europe. There's a couple of women at the river. Not enough men to have a synagogue. The heart of Lydia is opened by God. There's the inception of the Philippian church and then the jailer and everybody else. <laughs> People, we have to depend on the Holy Spirit. Today, the church is depending too much on technology and the high tech. 
I'm not speaking against it. Let's use radio. Let's use the internet. Let's use the, the computer. Let's use everything. But let's not depend on it. Listen, when Paul and these guys were preaching, they preached to the whole world. And they didn't have radio, internet, or computers. Concordances or anything else. We have all that and less people know about Jesus today than anything else. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit to make this world alive and to make us real Christians. More than ever before. The Holy Spirit speaks to each believer to understand the deep things of God. 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, He deals with you, He deals with me. That's why we gather, that's why we study, that's why we pray, that's why we're approachable. He makes it alive. You may not agree with what I'm saying, but the Holy Spirit is going to nail you. You've got a problem with the Holy Spirit, not with me. Some of you come and you think your neighbors invited you or your family invited you. You think they called me up and told me all about you. They haven't told me anything. It's the Holy Spirit convicting you. The present work that goes on is being done by the Holy Spirit. And he asked of the church daily, such as you should be saved, Acts 2.47. We don't add anybody to the church. We don't save anybody. We see the Holy Spirit making Christians. The Holy Spirit speaks to his church through the gift of prophecy, as we said, for edification, exhortation, and comfort. And I am exercising right now the gift of prophecy. When you're preaching and teaching, that's one of the ways the gift of prophecy is exercised. I am speaking forth the word of God. The problem is that too many Christians think that prophecy has its primary function in foretelling future events. Never. Not even in the Old Testament. The primary function of the gift of prophecy is speaking in the place of God, being the mouthpiece of God to the people to communicate His will and His word. Then secondary is to proclaim future events if such is the case. But it's never the primary work of the gift. The Holy Spirit speaks as clearly today as he did in the days of the early church through his word, making his word alive and relevant to the needs of your life and mine every day, convicting us of the, by the Holy Spirit and giving us understanding because it is a sharp two-edged sword, piercing us under the soul and the spirit, a diviner and the son of the intent of the heart of man, Hebrews 4.12 says. Christians that aren't in the word of God they can live carnal. They have no conviction. Christians who are rebellious to the word of God, they know what they're doing. You must be in the word of God so the Holy Spirit can have some fuel for fire. <laughs> they go together. The person revealing the apostasy is who? God the Holy Spirit. So what he's going to say, can you trust it? Is it reliable? You better believe it. Don't read and say... I wonder if this is true. <laughs> it's God speaking. Now notice, secondly, the period affected by the apostasy. That in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Now the phrase, latter times, is found only one time in the New Testament, as well as in the Old Testament. The Old Testament passage is Daniel 8, 23. Only two times. The word latter, as you can tell by the word itself, it means that which comes after. The word times is kairos, distinct from another Greek word. Kairos means a season, a segment, or an epoch. Chronos 
we get our word chronology from, it means running time, linear time, and a marked out place there. This is Kairos, like the summer. It's a set season in the 12 months. Winter, your birthday. It falls as a special place for a set time along that linear time, Kairos, a very specific time. The phrase means the seasons that will come after. It is in the plural notice. They will occur from time to time. This is not a one-time event. This departure is the occasional season occurring from time to time throughout the last days, known as the latter time. A willful turning away from the truth of the gospel. This is not referring now to the great apostasy just before the Lord's return for his church, but the occasional departure that would and have its ultimate climax in that time. The ultimate apostasy, as we studied it, remember, is 2 Thessalonians 2.3. In that text, the article is found. The apostasy of all apostasies. While the departure here in Timothy has no article in the Greek. It is just one of many to come that will climax in the final apostasy. You understand what I'm saying? Okay? Very, very specific. Now, the message of John was that it was already the last hour and the Antichrist was coming. But even then, many Antichrists had already come, he says, which they knew made it the last hour in 1 John 2.18. Now notice, secondly, that the phrase is different and distinct from the phrase, the last days. Don't confuse them. The last day encompasses the period from the first coming of the Lord to the second coming. So the first coming of the Lord to the second coming is the last days. And the latter times are epics that fit in this period of time. All right? So we understand it. The last days cover the time between Pentecost and the return of Jesus after the seven-year tribulation. Peter points this out in the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 16 through 21. He was calling the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit, but he went right on into the tribulation period and called him the last days. The last days are marked as perilous, irreconcilable times because of self-love, self-pleasure, and self-absorption. Let me read you 2 Timothy. When we get there, we'll do a sermon on it, maybe. Chapter 3, verse 1 on down to 5. But know this, that in the last days, perilous time will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power, and from such turn away. It's the L.A. Times. <laughs> it's cops. It's Jerry Springer. It's the Enquirer. It's America's uh, fugitives on TV. The last days are declared to be the period of time which God has chosen to speak to man by his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1 verse 2 says, God who at different times and in diverse manner has spoken times past to the fathers has in these last days spoken unto us through who? His dear son. And the son sent the Holy Spirit 
to continue the work. It's like a relay. You gotta hand off the baton. <laughs> the Father gave it to the Son, the Son gave it to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives it to us. The last days will be occupied with scoffers of the gospel message, 2 Peter 3, 3 through 4 tells you. Where's the promise of his coming? All things have continued as they were. That's the theory of, of uniformitarianism, of evolution. Listen, science is more science fiction today than science. Based on theories that cannot be duplicated, they cannot be observed, yet they're proclaimed as truth. The last days will have mockers in the last times who will walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Jude verse 18 tells us that. And the word therefore times is chronos in the linear running time of the last days. Notice thirdly that the phrase applies to people affected by the apostasy. The two are tied together. The people are identified by the word some. Underline it. It is a key word to the epistle appearing 15 times. The word is used for the false teachers in chapter 1, verse 3 and 5:24. The word is used for those seeking the office of a bishop in chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 5. The word is used for those who have strayed from the faith in chapter 1, verse 6, 4, 1, 5, 15, 6, 21. So, you have to make sure what some are these. Are they the false teachers? Are they the faithful? Are they the ones that are walking away? The context is going to dictate who the some are. Don't put all the some in the same place. You put some apples up here, some are green, some are ripe, some are rotten. I hope you make a distinction unless you take a bite. You must distinguish what class it's in. The proclamation is that some will depart from the faith. And the word depart is epistemy, meaning to remove, to desist, to desert, to draw away, or withdraw oneself from a place of abiding. Do you get the basic definition? You have to be in the place before you can leave it. It is obviously clear that who he's talking about are people who have been there. You cannot walk away from this church if you never came to it. You cannot walk away from your car if you haven't been in it. The people he's talking about are those who are walking away from the faith willfully. It is used of Satan after he tempted the Lord in the wilderness. He departed from him for a season. Luke 4.13. It is used of Judas of Galilee who drew away many after himself in the days of the census in Acts 5.37. It is used of John Mark departing from Paul and Barnabas in the first missionary journey in Acts 15.38. The basic meaning is to stand or walk away from something or place you have been. The context will determine whether it is a reference to good or to evil. The faith is in reference to what? The objective truth of the gospel, the scriptures, literally Christianity. God's divine revelation to redeem lost man from his lost condition. The heresy had come from the leadership from within. Those that Paul had prayed over, discipled, cried over, and warned. And he prophesied that they were going to lead people astray in Acts 20, 28, and 29. It had come to pass. Don't ever think because you have a pastor that loves the word and teaches the word that heresy can't ever be raised up from within the body. You can't have a better pastor than Paul, Timothy, and then the beloved John at Ephesus. 
And look what happened to that church. It should be a warning to all of us. Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of guarding against heresy. And Pastor Xavier has more truths to share from this study coming up next time. Now, if you won't be able to join in, you can always pick up a copy of this message on CD. The title to ask for is Departure from the Faith. As always, it's available for only $4. And this is a great way to share this ministry with others. So once again, the title to ask for is Departure from the Faith, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you include the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. How do you keep the church true to the Word of God? That's the simple truth we'll be studying on our next program. Hope you'll join Pastor Xavier Reese for more teaching from God's Word. Tell a friend. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com